Welcome to Signs of Hope, a series by Mater Day Radio, telling the stories of how God is working in the Pacific Northwest. My name is Sarah Kinsey, your host, and I'm so excited to invite you along with us as we discover how God is active here in our local Catholic community in Oregon and Southwest Washington. To hear the inspiration behind this project, please feel free to listen to our short introductory episode and make sure to watch the video components of this series, which can be found on our website, our YouTube channel, and on the free Hail Mary media app. Our second feature for this Signs of Hope project was to focus on local vocations to the priesthood and the religious life. In this episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Mother Maria Aceron Dodeca, who is part of the religious community Servants of the Lord and the Virgin of Matara. This connection came about because during our recent Fall share we partnered with the wonderful group Fund for Vocations, which you'll learn more about during this episode. And the Fund for Vocations connected me with Mother, who actually grew up here in Portland and in nearby Camas, Washington. I truly had a wonderful time speaking with Mother. We discussed her journey from atheism to being a religious sister, the importance of honest prayer, and how we can pursue the vocation God has in store for us. Since we recorded this over Zoom, I am able to include the full conversation here in this podcast. I hope you enjoy. My name is Mother Maria Asteron Dodeca, which is a Greek handful of of a word, a mouthful of a word. But my name comes from Revelation 12.1, which speaks of the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And so in our religious family, the Institute Servants of the Lord and the Virgin of Matara, we all take different names of Mary. Uh, different advocations of of Our Lady. So I got lucky and I got one that came straight from scripture and in the original language that it was that it was written in. We're missionary sisters. And so we serve in over 40 different countries throughout the world from the United States to Ukraine, which is suffering greatly right now, down to Tanzania and Africa, to Taiwan. We're in South America, Guyana, Canada, Mexico, um, really you name it, we're pretty much in one of those areas. And I'm currently serving in the United States. I'm in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And our community helps at the National Shrine Grotto of Our Lady of Lords. We serve as directors of liturgy and of, of music there. And then I also teach at Mount St. Mary's University as an adjunct professor. And I work on a few internal projects of translation for a, a philosophical publication project that we're working on. Wow, that is that's incredible. I didn't realize you do all those different different things, but it sounds like the life of a religious is pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you, sister, um, again for sharing that. And um, so, as I was preparing for this, I, I did read some of your story just through the Fun for mm-hmm. Vocations page. But for our listeners. Um, can you give a, a bit of a recap of your background and how did you realize God was calling you to a religious life? 
Sure. So I would say my my religious vocation is deeply intertwined with my conversion. So I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, North Portland, the St. John's District, which I don't believe is very safe anymore these days, but um, grew up in North Portland. And both of my parents weren't practicing any sort of religion. Uh, Very good people, very, very good people. and, And they certainly instilled very strong family and natural values in myself and my brother. I have an older brother, but we grew up without any sort of religious influence. And I don't even think I considered the question of God until I was 10 or 11 years old. I had never heard of God before, so I had never even considered the idea of, yeah, the idea or had that concept of God. When I was 10, we moved to Camus, and it was there that I first had some encounters with some Christian friends. I would say probably towards the end of middle school or the beginning of high school. And that's when the question of religion kind of came to the fore, I guess you could say. My Christian friends were very shocked at me and I was very shocked at them and we couldn't quite figure one another out. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was quite the time, I would say. And yeah, so I, I guess that was my first exposure to religion was through my friends But I would say my attitude towards them was a little bit more um, skeptical or even antagonistic, I would say. I was was a little antagonistic. So (laughs) we would debate about religious topics. And through these kind of debates, I became firmer and firmer in in a sort of atheistic stance that God didn't exist. There was no real purpose to life and that my friends were ignorant and brainwashed is kind of what I told them. They were still friends with me after that. Can you believe it? (laughs) (laughs) So um, two graces, I would say that God gave me from, from the very beginning. Um, The first was a desire and love for truth. And so even though I was professing atheism at this point, I desired and wanted to know the truth about about the world, about life, about the purpose of life. And so I was open to the truth, even though at that point I thought it was nihilism. And then the second thing was I wanted to be good. My parents had really raised me with a lot of natural virtues. They they really emphasized the, the love of the family. They emphasized honesty and sincerity and hard work. They gave me a lot of good virtues and and I wanted to be good, but I realized there was no reason to be good there was if there was no purpose to life except for maybe success which is what our culture tells us success and money and and your career is basically the the purpose of your existence so if that's the purpose why why be good why try to live an honest life why why try to do this with sincerity so that started to cause some kind of existential questions in my mind and at the same time as I was as I was seeking success, my parents had worked very hard to give me every opportunity that they could. I was I was a, an honors student in in the in high school. I was on the college track. I was playing varsity softball from my freshman year, playing competitive softball in the in the off seasons and during the summer. Was looking towards a Division one scholarship. So there was there was a lot of success happening, I I guess we could say. But with each moment of success or like reaching a goal that I had set for myself, I would experience that momentary happiness, but it was momentary, fleeting. It would always 
it would be in your grasp and then it would just be it would be gone and that was the time that i that i began as as a as a high schooler to to really feel the consequences of the profession that i was making the the lack of a profession of faith the a profession of of atheism because there was no there was no happiness to be had everything was so fleeting so transient so just on on the horizontal level of life so little by little i started to view my friends with a little bit of jealousy i would even say because they were they were happy they had something i didn't have they had a hope that i didn't have they possessed something that i didn't possess and i couldn't i couldn't pinpoint it but they were happy and i knew it had to do with their faith i knew it had to do with their religious belief so i would say that was kind of the the beginning of my conversion was kind of these different existential factors i wanted to be a good person there's no reason to be a good person i want to succeed but succeed isn't even bringing me happiness there's this kind of existential what's the purpose of my life and here are my friends they're they're not necessarily succeeding at the same level that i am but they're happy and they have something that i don't have and what does this all mean so that was kind of leading me into the end of my sophomore year beginning of my junior year of high school and one of my friends gave me a challenge she said why don't you read the bible why don't you read the new testament and i said um no not really interested thanks <laughs> but she persisted and and so i said okay i'll i'll read i'll read the gospels and i don't really remember specifically which passage i had read or what story i was reading but i was reading it and, and there was there was one evening where kind of all this existential crises came to a fore and i i kind of threw the bible across the the room and i was fed up with everything i i i felt so terrible what was the purpose of my life what's going on despair and that was the moment that i that i prayed for the first time in my life all i can say is is it, it was an actual grace to inspire me in that moment to to actually to pray um and i i knelt down next to my bed and i don't know i guess i just figured that's what you do when you pray you have to kneel so i i knelt in my in my room i'd never prayed before and and it, the words were very simple my heart spoke very simply to our lord it's sim simple words just God, I don't know if you exist. I don't think you exist. But if you do, I'm ready to believe. I want to believe. So help me. I I I can't do it on my own. And God answers those types of simple prayers, those prayers from the heart. I I I don't know if I could really put into words the experience of that night, but I felt to the core of my being God's love that he that he existed it was like the truths became evident within me that he existed that he loved me that Jesus was God I don't know how that came in <laughs> but it was there and and this is why I would say it, it relates to my vocation I think my vocation was in this moment as well because I knew he loved me and I knew I belonged entirely to him 
I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know. I had never heard of religious consecration or the religious life or anything like that. But I knew that my life had completely changed in that instant, in that moment, and that everything was his. Everything was his. Thank you for for sharing that. And oh, yeah, just actually realizing God is there for the first time and and that he loves us and like how how yeah. all, like how life altering that is like it's just so beautiful and i appreciate you sharing that and i i know it's probably like not you know was wasn't the best time in your life <laughs> you know it's a hard time <laughs> so i i really appreciate when people share those those stories of conversion though because that's usually when they happen is a lot of times it's you know in yeah. that difficulty and that wrestling and that doubt and all of that so um right. Yeah, I, I just think it's so encouraging, I think, for people to hear that. Yeah, and, and to be honest with God in prayer, because he already knows our hearts. So if we're if we're struggling, we don't need to hide it from him. <laughs> he knows that we're struggling and he just he wants to hear us speak from the heart. And usually that's what he's waiting for is for us to speak to him from the heart. And then he says, OK, now I can give you the grace that you need. So how was prayer important for you as you continued in your journey? You know, what role did prayer play in that? And then also, like, how is it um, an important part of your daily life now in your mm-hmm. life as a religious sister? I suppose prayer in a certain sense came naturally to me from that first moment. But I, I think my love and desire for truth, once I realized that God what is and exists and is the truth, my desire for truth became a desire for him. And so I, I think I would say that's the heart of, of my prayer and the heart of my of my journey, first becoming Catholic and then and then discovering my vocation was was certainly this this desire to know him who is the truth, the way, the truth and the life. And so I w- I, I would say that yeah, my, my desire to discover him in, in, in that way was my prayer more so even than like my, my official times of, of praying or, or, or what have you. I will say this. So I had my conversion moment where life got turned upside down very quickly for me. And I had to go through a couple more steps to kind of figure out, okay, what did that mean? Which church do I go to? What did, was, where's the truth? And eventually our Lord brought me into the Catholic Church, especially through an experience with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, with the the real presence, our, our Lord's presence with us in that, that most holy, holy sacrament. When I discovered his presence there, it was like my heart couldn't be close enough to him. So I, re- I remember being a senior in high school and, and I was going through RCIA and, and when I could, I'd sneak off to daily mass before we would go to to, to school and I would sit in the very front row because I knew I couldn't receive Jesus in, in communion yet. But but I knew if I was right there at the very at the very front, I would be so close to him. And and then the moment of the of the blessing, I'd come up with my my arms crossed, and and he would be right right there. And uh, so certainly prayer with adoration in front of the Blessed Sacrament, the Holy the Holy Mass, these have all been very strong pillars for me in in terms of, of my journey towards God. When I went to university, uh, prayer was was definitely a, a strong part of, of, of my life in university. This is kind of funny and wild, but 
I went to Mount St. Mary's University here in Emmitsburg. So this is my alma mater. When I went to the university, we did not have sisters present on campus. Uh, our mission wasn't open here at that point. So I hadn't met our sisters. Uh, we didn't have religious sisters on campus or anything like that. I went to the Mount to play softball. I was recruited to play for their division one softball team. So that got me into a really good Catholic school, thanks be to God, and one that nourished this desire for desire for God and, and for prayer. And the opportunities were absolutely wide open. The university has a seminary on campus, so there's 150 seminarians. That was a huge witness of faith for all of us undergraduate students. We have five chapels on campus, so you can find a place to pray pretty much anytime, anywhere, whether it's the middle of the night or the middle of the day, you can you can come in and, and to pray. And so, yeah, prayer certainly sustained me during my time of, of university. And it, it was during university and, and especially through the help of the seminarians that I discovered kind of a, a click, an answer to, to that my heart belongs to him alone that I had felt during my original conversion moment, my original prayer experience. So when they explained to me religious life, I said, oh, 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 that's what that means. <laughs> that's what's in my heart. Oh, okay. And so I would say, honestly, at my, for, for me, the prayer was more a struggling to accept that that's what that means. I, I knew it was my vocation from the moment that I un understood what consecrated life was, because I knew, I knew my heart already belonged entirely to God and and I wanted it and I desired it, but it was a very scary, a very scary reality to try and to to wrap my my mind around and what my future would look like. So so certainly prayer was was very sustaining in, in that time. Obviously, prayer is the bedrock of our religious life. Without it, it doesn't make sense. Our consecration makes no sense. Our our religious profession is to to seek perfection. And perfection is nothing other than union with God. And union of hearts can only be found through through prayer. And prayer, not necessarily always of, of the lips or of the voice, but especially a, a prayer of, of presence, of being, being always with the beloved. So, of course, there's the hours of prayer that we have, and those are very special moments of being with Jesus. We have our daily adoration hour. We have our hours of praying the liturgy of the hours together in common. We have the holy sacrifice of the mass, the holy rosary, stations of the cross, many, many aids, many opportunities for formal prayer, we could say. But the formal prayer is to also be extended into every aspect of our life so that whether I'm teaching at the university or translating in my office with my two screens and Italian on one and English on the other and or speaking on a Zoom call, I must always be in the presence of my beloved. I, I love that so much. And it's an integrated way to look at to look at prayer that it's not separate mm -hmm. from the rest of our lives. And, you know, it really should be part of every moment in a way. So I also wanted to ask you, what would you say or what advice would you give for someone that has heard of religious life and maybe feeling a little bit of a tug toward it or maybe haven't thought about it? What what advice would you give to them? 
I suppose the most important thing behind any vocation is that it's founded on a desire for union with God and a desire to know his will for us because he's our father, father, and he knows what's best for us. And, and we're his children and we want to do his will. We want to do what he knows is best for us. And so I think more than anything, if, if we want to begin to to discern God's will in our life, whether it's vocational or whether it's even smaller things that we need to discern, we have to make sure that really, truly, the desire to do his will and not my own is pure. And, and there's that intention there to always seek the greater greater glory of our Father, the greater, yeah, to, to, to love his will the way that Jesus loved his will, even if it meant going to the cross even if it means sacrifice of parents and family and potentially children or whatever the sacrifices might be, there will be sacrifices. Jesus told us that. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And where where are we following him? To fulfill the Father's will. And Jesus did that all the way to the cross, all the way to death on the cross. So I, I would say for anyone, for all of us, that's the first disposition of our soul that I think we need to to really work towards is to desire God's will. And that can be hard. That might bring up some obstacles or fears or difficulties. And that's the moment I think spiritual direction is very helpful because as we grapple with different things that we're attached to or fears that we have, and and those might come from natural causes or psychological causes, or they might come from supernatural causes. We're all one, we're human. So they're they're part of our spiritual life one way or the other that's that's a moment to especially if we're seriously discerning something um to look for spiritual direction look for a guide someone who can help you grapple between whatever whatever obstacle that you feel is present to desiring and 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 seeking and following god's will whatever it may be and that's where prayer comes in too that's where where you have to grapple with that in prayer. So you have a spiritual guide, a spiritual mentor, a spiritual director, and then you grapple with it in prayer. God wants to, to know our vocation more than we want to know our vocation. So <laughs> he's going to let us know. And he's he's going to he's going to let us know, especially as we grapple through some of these these fears and desires and and what what have you. So I would say seeking that disposition, the desire God's will, to know that none of us really do that perfectly. So there's going to be certain things that come up as as obstacles. And, and that's where it's helpful to, to have a spiritual director or a spiritual guide, somebody that you can talk to, to pray through those, those types of issues. And then another very concrete way, I think, especially for someone who's who's starting to get to that disposition or really wants to get to that disposition and, and find the will of God for their lives. The spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola are a beautiful means. It's a silent retreat that's offered um, throughout the throughout the United States. Many, many different places offer it. It's a guided silent retreat really aimed precisely at that, at, at, at coming to making God's will and the greater glory of God the foundation of every decision and every aspect of our life and helping us to find out if there's any obstacles to that and then coming to fall in love with Jesus Christ. You do those things, you're going to know your vocation. And we have to do those things for salvation. 
knowing our vocation is just kind of a perk within it. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We got to, we got to seek holiness and you might as well find out what, what God's will for your life. <laughs> but I, I love that. That fits. And I was thinking about St. Francis earlier today and how he kept thinking like, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go be a soldier and all these different things. And God had a lot more in store for him. And anyway, mm-hmm. just thinking about it today. So it kind of ties in with some of that as yeah. well. I have kind of a more practical question. For those uh, people that might not be as familiar with Fund for Vocations, could mm-hmm. you just share briefly like how that organization was able to support you in pursuing your vocation and the will of God for your life? Really, I wouldn't be where I am today and wouldn't be able to respond to the the call that God placed in my heart without the help of a Fund for Vocation. They are a beautiful, wonderful Catholic organization that seeks to help young people to enter religious life or to enter the priesthood and to specifically to help them overcome the number one obstacle to vocations, which is student loans, student debt. So I know in my own personal case, I, I came to Mount St. Mary's on a scholarship for softball and for academics, which covered about three quarters of my tuition. But three quarters of a private university is still leaving you with a little bit of of that at the end. In the end, I did some discernment and it was better for me when I realized my vocation and that I was, I needed to enter. I was already in debt. So what do I do? (laughs) Do I drop out of college? Do I get my degree and then work to pay off my debt? I, I wasn't really sure. It seemed like the best thing for me to do was to graduate in three years And I was able to do that, thanks be to God, through AP credits that had transferred and things like that. So I was able to to shave off of a year of university, but I was still left with about $50,000 of student loans that I needed to pay off. And in the working world, that takes years to be able to pay off. And the Fund for Vocations, they really see this as a as a real obstacle to vocations. And and the truth is. A vocation is a grace, and graces are sometimes at certain moments of our life. And we all know how life goes. Um, you get caught up in your work. You get caught up in this. So I, if you're working overtime to try and pay off your student loans, you're not praying as much. Many lose their vocations during that moment. Many can lose their vocations. So fun for vocations is a organization that seeks to help those who have a religious call but are burdened by student loans. And so what they what they do is they have an application process and they take in um, those who have been accepted to a religious order or to a seminary. So that's certainly part of the requirements to be able to apply for this fund is that you you have committed to entering a particular order. And then they look to see at your efforts to be able to bring down your student loans. So I had worked for a year and a half. Thanks be to God, my parents let me live at home and I was able to put everything towards it. So I had gotten it down even further from that by the time I was able to apply. And what they do is through the generous uh, donations received from their benefactors, they have a pool or a fund from which they're able to pay the student loans of the applicants who have received the grant. And so for the initial process, for the initial time that you enter, the Fund for Vocations will pay for the minimum amount towards your student loans. 
And then uh, that gives the the individual time to discern, you know, with freely. So it's not like they come in, they take on all your loans, they pay them off, you're scot-free. And, oh, six months later, I realized I don't have a location. I don't have student loans either. That's great. Um, So it, 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 it allows for some freedom for the for the individual to discern while they're they're in the first stages of formation. By the time that you profess final vows, which is usually seven to eight years later, at that moment, the fund for vocations then says, okay, we will take on the rest of the loans and we will pay off the final balance within five years of your of your final profession. And so uh, wow. it's really a beautiful system uh, that respects the money of the donor and respects the freedom and the discernment of the individual so that if someone does discern out of, of religious life or out of the seminary, they don't feel burdened to give back or to that, that, that they've received like too much. I, I don't know. Or obligated I mean. yeah. almost to, obligated, to continue yeah. or, or to stay in because, mm-hmm. you know, to have that guilt to say, I, well, somebody helped me to get here. I have to stay. Wow. So, Really, it, I owe my vocation. I, I, I probably, I'd probably be entering right now. <laughs> I think wow. if I had to pay off my loans. Wow. Thank you for for sharing that because I knew about it, but I wasn't sure exactly how it worked. I love, I love that model of, like you said, respecting the donor's money too, and and also mm-hmm. and also the person deserting. So I don't think a lot of people here are familiar with it, and I want more people to find out about this too. Yeah, um, yeah, really, because for. For so many of us, because who's who's really discovering the vocation before college these days? Right. Very few of us. Very, very few of us. And um, and who is coming out of college debt free? Also, very few yeah. people. So yeah. it's it really is a vocation killer. It can become a very big obstacle to mm-hmm. pursuing a response to to God's call. Right. That's great. I'm, I'm so glad that that you were able to pursue your vocation and and all the all the work that you know God can now do through you and I think that's wonderful and one thing I I loved about your story is how you talked about you know your parents even though they didn't practice or teach you religion they gave you these values and they gave you this love for the truth and I just thought it was so beautiful because it shows us that God can use those things to bring us to him too and Mm -hmm. you know and sometimes there's an honesty in in that and I've noticed that with some of my friends here too that aren't religious I don't know. They're 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 not doing things just to do them, but they want to actually know the reason behind it or or actually right. seek the truth. But do you have any words of encouragement, maybe for people that are feeling discouraged by the culture around us? Partially because you know you're from the Pacific Northwest, you're from our area. You maybe have maybe a better understanding of of what this area of the country can be like. And, and I know you probably see that you know in other ways where you're at too, or or just you know for for people that are seeking the truth. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> it, it, it's it is a very difficult reality to be living in, um, and the Northwest is is very secular. I've lived in Washington D.C., which also has quite a secular ambit to it as well. Up here in Emmitsburg is is Catholic family land. I don't know. It's it, it's it's remarkable. It's a very unique place. So I wouldn't quite uh, compare here, but the Northwest, while it's very secular. Like you said, I think people are are seeking. They they are seeking. They're seeking something. I would say that just being a Catholic witness and being willing to give an answer to those who ask, or or simply 
having your rosary or or wearing your miraculous medal or or, or being the witness of going to daily mass or, or going to Sunday mass and living our faith with authenticity attracts. And I think it will attract in the Northwest. I think there is a seeking and a sincerity in the Northwest that is not necessarily present in other parts of the United States and other cultures within the United States. I know for me, that's what, what attracted me to my friends even was their, their witness. And St. Saint, Saint Paul VI, he says that um, people will, people listen more willingly to a witness than to a teacher. And if they listen to a teacher, it's because their te- the teacher's life is already first a witness. So if we're coherent in our charity, in our life of charity, our faith and our and our lived life of faith are coherent with one another, it will attract. And it will attract in a way that's going to 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 bring people into dialogue with us. Because I do think in the Northwest there's an authentic seeking for meaning, for for truth in a sort of side about way, I mean. Right. <laughs> but but really seeking for 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 meaning. And, and I think there's an openness and a respect for, for what we profess, for what we believe, if we can live it authentically and with good, with true witness. That's wonderful. Well, that's, that's encouraging to me too. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much um, again for your time. And um, it was great to meet you and just talk and, and hear more about your life. Yeah, I know. It's been a pleasure. I left this call feeling a real sense of hope and also a desire to nurture and strengthen my own prayer life so that I can be more in tune with what God wants for my life, both in the big and the small things. And I also felt so encouraged by hearing that whenever we can witness to our faith, even in the smallest way, God can use that to make a profound impact in the lives of others. I hope that you also found something inspiring in this conversation with Mother that you can apply to your own faith today. That brings us to the end of this episode. I want to say a special thank you to Mother Maria Astaron Dodeca for her time in speaking with me as well as everyone at the Fund for Vocations, especially their director, Mary Radford, for making this great connection. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you again for joining us on Signs of Hope as we tell the stories of how God is working here in the Pacific Northwest. See you next time, and may God bless you. Signs of Hope is produced by Mater Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. Find this show on your favorite podcast platform and on our free Hail Mary media app. More details are also available at materdayradio.com.